If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those. Today we'll be reading from John chapter 6. So today we're reading from John chapter 6, verses 59 through 71. And what I see here is the distinguishing factor between a true disciple and a false disciple. And maybe the distinguishing factor that I see at the end of John chapter 6 is how do we handle truth. Notice it with me. Starting in verse 59. These things he said, Jesus said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a harsh statement. Who can hear it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Verse 67, so Jesus, seeing that the masses were walking away, he turned to the twelve. Notice that he turned to the twelve and not the eleven. He turned to the twelve. You do not also want to go away, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. For we have believed and you have, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? And now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Amen. Thank you. Today I, I want us to be the real deal. Today, I want to unpack for us in John chapter 6 what it means to be a true disciple. If someone were to come up to you after church today in the church parking lot and ask you that exact question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, how would you respond? Answering that question bothered me a lot in college because for the very first time, I I realized that the Christian life wasn't just about a performance, wasn't just about appearing to be spiritual or just showing up to church, but it was something much, much deeper than that. So in college, I was bothered, and I, 15 years ago, I set out on a journey to answer that exact question, what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Now in college, if you would have known me, I looked very different. I had peach fuzz here, long, beautiful brown hair that my wife misses, I'm sure. I lost almost all of it. Uh, and I had big muscles and I worked out all day long. It was awesome time of life. But I remember just being, just being bothered by that question. You know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? So what I did was I, I took the harmony of the Gospels. And what is that? That's basically where somebody took all four Gospels and put them in chronological order. So then I, I took this harmony of the Gospels and did like a scorched earth policy. Right? I just looked at every word, every concept, every paragraph to understand what it meant to, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I came up with seven. There are seven qualities of a disciple, and all of them begin with the word S. Okay, I'm a preacher. I have to alliterate. Okay, there we go. A disciple is silent, 
They listen to God. They are secure. They have faith in the Lord. They are surrendered. They must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. They are submitted to the will of God. They supplicate or they pray. They serve. A follower of Christ serves God and others, and a disciple is sent. A disciple then makes disciples. You know, 15 years ago, I, I looked at all four Gospels, and I looked for statements like Jesus, that Jesus said, okay, if you want to be my disciple, you must blank. But after John 6, after this week of just wrestling with this text, perhaps being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus Christ is more basic than even that. It's more rudimentary. Perhaps it boils down to how we handle the truth. If someone were to come up to you and ask you the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, how would you respond to that question? To some of us here this morning, being a disciple of Christ is found in the word disciple itself. The word disciple means learner. So what it means to be a disciple of Christ is a lifelong learning process. To some of us, being a disciple is to deny yourself and take up a cross and follow Him. To some of us, it means to walk by the Spirit and live by truth. To some of us, it means to avoid sin at all costs. And to some of us, it really doesn't mean a whole lot at all. But perhaps being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being his follower, boils down to how we handle the truth. Because that is exactly what I see in John chapter 6. We see in John 6, we see three different groups of followers. We see the crowds who handle truth one way. We see the 11 disciples who handle truth another way. And then we see Judas and how he handles the truth in a completely different way than the other two. So if you have your Bible, turn in those to John chapter 6. And we will unpack what I call the ABCs of a true disciple. We see the A in verses 59 through 66. We see the B in verses 67 through 69. And then we see the C in verses 70 through 71. Notice the first tenet of being a true disciple. Verse 59. These things... Jesus said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, and therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, you know, Jesus, this is a very difficult statement. It's very harsh in the original language. Who can hear it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said, does this cause you to stumble? What then... If you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. And He was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless the Father has granted him from has been granted him from the Father. And as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Number one, it means to accept difficult truth. If you have your notes, the first blank is to accept difficult truth. Notice Notice in verse 60, what do the, the crowds say? They say, therefore, many of his disciples, and they heard 
him saying this. This is a difficult statement. Who can hear it? In the original language, that word difficult is in the position of emphasis. So if we, if we don't really have that ability in English to do it this way, but our kind of the way we do it is we highlight or bold or italics or underline. So in the original language, the, the word difficult is in the position of emphasis, and the word difficult is the Greek word skeleros, and it means harsh. So what do the disciples, they say... That is a harsh statement. Well, what is the harsh statement? What is the difficult statement that they are dealing with? It goes back to verse 55, where Jesus says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, um, if, if I... In, in the crowd's defense, okay, if I was standing there in the synagogue in Capernaum and I heard Jesus tell me to eat his flesh and drink his blood, I would probably be a bit weirded out too. I mean, I mean, imagine if I walked in on a Sunday morning and I told you once I need to bring a fork and knife, okay, and you're going to eat my flesh. You know, you would probably have thought I had lost my mind and I would probably have no one here on Sunday morning the next week. So, I mean, in the crowd's defense, it seems a little bit weird. But So on the surface, it seems that Jesus is advocating, you know, cannibalism. But what is really Jesus saying in verse 55 of chapter 6? That those who want to follow him must realize that where their sin is paid. That his body and his blood was shed for them in order to pay for their sin. That they must identify with that sacrifice. But then notice what Jesus says next, verse 61. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then? If you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. So what is, what is Jesus saying in verse 61? That if you can't handle verse 55, you're not going to be able to handle Acts chapter 1 verse 9. If you can't handle the fact that I'm saying to you that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you're not going to be able to handle that I am ascended into heaven. But then why can't the crowds handle this truth? Why can't they accept this difficult truth. Notice Jesus gives them two reasons. Reason number one is found in verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. The first reason why they can't understand what Jesus means by eat my flesh and drink my blood. Because that is weird. Jesus is not a vampire. Okay. Sorry. Then, anyways. Moving on. Okay. The, why can't they understand it? It's because they're stuck in the flesh. That's what he says. What I have spoken to you, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. What's the problem here? They are trying to understand heavenly things with earthly wisdom. They are trying to understand earthly truth or heavenly truths with earthly understanding. Can I just go there for just a second? Many times in life, that Christian life doesn't really make sense. There's a lot of things in this life that just we just don't ever understand. And perhaps part of the issue that we have is that we're trying to understand heavenly truths with earthly wisdom instead of approaching the throne of grace with faith. They can't understand the statement of verse 55 because they're stuck in the flesh. 
And we as Christians struggle with the same thing. But then notice the second reason the crowds cannot accept difficult truth is because of the Father's draw. Verse 65. For this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. The crowds are unable to understand what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 6. There's so many things going on in John 6 beyond verse 55. Jesus says that I am the bread of life. That I am statement is correlating Jesus to Yahweh, the all-caps Lord in the Old Testament. So they're seeing this man whom they've known their whole life. They know his father and mother, and they're saying, wait a second, this guy is proclaiming himself to be God. And then he is saying that he, we need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. No wonder they're confused. But then notice what happens when these false disciples encounter difficult truth. Verse 66, it says, As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. When a false disciple encounters difficult truth, they walk away. When a false disciple encounters difficult truth, they are tempted to walk away. And that's exactly what happens here in verse 66. And I believe this statement is true even to today. That there are so many things in the Christian life that we just do not understand. Can I get an amen to that one? There's so many truths of the Christian life that just simply don't make sense. Question. Why does a good God allow people to go to hell? What's up with this predestination thing? What about the indigenous tribes in Indonesia? How can God send them to hell? What about the doctrines of the deity and humanity of Christ? What about the Trinity? What about the depravity of man? That there are so many things in the Christian life that simply just do not make sense. And that is okay. We don't have to have it all figured out. It's called faith, that there is a level of trust that we must have before the sovereign God of the universe. Let me just, of course, things in life with God won't make complete sense. Why? Because we are finite beings trying to understand the infinite. Of course things won't make sense. And that is okay. If you try to rationalize every area of your life, about every, you try to answer every question, you're going to be just like these false disciples in John chapter 6. You're going to get so discouraged that you're just going to want to walk away from it all. I've seen it. I've seen it. But there's a second difficult truth that we wrestle with. It's not just the difficult truths and doctrines that we don't understand, but it's also the difficult trials. I like to tell young people this phrase, that if you live long enough, you will experience tragedy. Amen? (laughs) I'm sorry to break it to you. If you're young and you haven't faced something by yet, guess what's coming your way? I'm just telling you right now, okay? But, okay, sorry to discourage you, but it's just the blunt truth, okay? But so, so we, we struggle with difficult truths of doctrine, but we also struggle to follow God right after we encounter a difficult trial in life. And there's nothing new about this. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12? There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. One day, 
You will walk upon the precipice of pain and difficulty and trial. One day, life won't make sense. One day, you're going to come before the throne of grace and you're going to ask the Lord, God, why? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did I lose my spouse? Why did I lose my home? Why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my child? And that day, you're going to have to make a choice. You can either follow the Lord and accept difficult truth, or you can be like John chapter 6, verse 66, you can walk away from it all. I have seen person after person, Christian after Christian, walk away under the weight of difficult truths and trials. I have seen this over and over again, that people appear spiritual, but when the path to godliness begins to go uphill, they get tired and then they quit. And I will say that that is the one of the things that I do love about my church because we have a vast variety of ages here at this in this building in this church. And what I, one of the things I love about our older generation here at Calvary Bible Church is that I know many of their stories. I know the, the pain that they have walked. And the fact that they are still following Jesus inspires me to do the same. If you are listening to this podcast, we're not podcast, but whatever it is, I'm super non-techie here, okay, just discredited myself to all the techies in the world. If you're an older generation person, please communicate your story to us. Let us look up to you in the, the road that you have walked, because I know your story. Some of you have lost children, you have lost spouses, you have, you have faced tremendous pain, but many of the older generation are still faithful to walk. Let us Look up to them. Let us learn. A true disciple accepts difficult truth. But then notice the B. Notice the B of a true disciple, verse 67 through 69. We like to give Simon Peter a hard time, but he, gives, he gets this one. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want... To go away also, do you? Notice the twelve there, by the way. He's not just speaking to the eleven. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is a true disciple? A true disciple accepts difficult truth and believes the truth. You know, we like to give Peter a hard time because he's constantly shoving his foot in his mouth. But like I just said a few minutes ago, he passes this one with flying colors. And if you notice, verse 68 through 69, uh, those verses are quite profound. Because what does he say Jesus is? First, Peter says that you are Lord. That word Lord is kure. That is, and then with TMI, that is the vocative case noun. It's the case of direct address. And it's the Greek word behind it. It's the Greek word kurios, which means Lord or Master. So when Peter says Lord to Jesus, what is he really doing? He's telling Jesus that you are my Master and that I am a servant to you. But then notice what else Peter says. 
It says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That Peter says Jesus is Lord and that he is life. And what do we know life to mean within the context of the Gospel of John? It is the Greek word zoe, which means eternal liveness. That Jesus Christ has come to breathe into our dead souls life. We're meant to be different. Peter calls him Lord. He calls him life. And then notice the last thing Peter calls him. For we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says a very difficult statement that before him he sees a man, but Peter knows the truth. He knows that Jesus is also God. Peter is a true disciple because he accepts difficult truth and he believes the truth that Jesus is Lord, life, and God. My point today is to be like Peter. To be like Peter. Now, I am probably the first preacher in 2,000 years to ever have that as a point, okay? Because we're always picking on Peter, yes? He's constantly saying something D-U-M-B, okay, dumb, okay? So, but here is, to be like Peter, he knows the truth. I want us to not just know the truth, not just believe the truth, but also to be changed by the truth. Because when tough times come, I hope that we would be like Peter, that we would follow. Because think about what's going on in John chapter 6, verse 67, when Peter says this very statement. How many people are walking out the building? How many people are leaving the synagogue? Thousands. So Peter is sitting there in the face of all this opposition, confirming in the midst of all of this, that Jesus is life, that he is Lord, and that he is God. Peter, in the face of difficult opinions, Peter exclaims that Jesus is God. That in the midst of the opposition for our faith, and let me just be real with you all, the opposition for our faith is coming. And it's going to be more and more and more and more prevalent. That in the midst of opposition for our faith, let us know and proclaim the truth. And who cares what the world really thinks anyways, because Jesus is worthy. Sometimes in life, we are like Peter here. Sometimes in life, we're like Peter, that, that we, we pass the test. And in the midst of opposition, we proclaim the truth and we don't really care what anybody else thinks. But then also sometimes we are Peter. That we would deny our Savior three times when there is peer pressure. But even in the midst of the struggle, we know that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. But then notice the sea of a true disciple. This is really where I'm going to spend the rest of our time today. We're going to see a man named Judas. Verse 70. And Jesus answered them, Did I myself... Not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. A true disciple is changed by the truth. There are three different groups of disciples here. I've already mentioned them, right? You have the crowds who can't accept difficult truth. That They're like, wait a second, like you're telling me to do what? Take out, take out a fork and knife and eat you? That's weird, okay? It is weird, okay? Let's just be real. But if you don't understand what's really going on in the context, yeah, I'm out of here. 
So we have the crowds who can't accept difficult truth. We have Peter, in the face of all this opposition, believing the truth that Jesus is Lord. He is our Master. He is God. He is our Savior. And He is life. And then we have Judas Iscariot. Hey, who is Judas? Judas is a wolf in sheep's clothing, a tool of the devil, and a traitor of our Savior. But who is Judas? He is one... The one that betrays our Savior, he is the treasurer of the twelve disciples. And we know from John chapter 12, verse 6, grab this thought that I'm about to tell you. From John chapter 12, verse 6, we know that Judas is stealing money from the sovereign God of the universe. Probably not a good idea unless you want a repeat of Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, okay. So Judas is stealing money. And we know that in John chapter 13, Satan enters into Judas. But who is Judas? He is one of the twelve. Judas has followed Jesus to this point for some two years. Two years. He has lived with Jesus. He has eaten with Jesus. He has broken bread with Jesus. And what has he heard over and over again in the two years that he has walked the countryside with his Lord? He has heard over and over again the truth of the gospel. He has seen the truth. He saw 20,000 people be fed from five loaves and two fish. He has heard over and over again that Jesus is the Messiah, that He's the Savior of the world, that He's the Lamb of God, that He is Yahweh Himself. But what is the difference between Judas and the other 11? Because, think about this, I just want to paint you a picture for just a second. Judas and the other 11 disciples have heard the same messages. They've seen the same miracles. They've heard the same stuff for two years. But Judas's path and the 11 are vastly different. What's the difference? Because Judas and the other 11 disciples are sinners. The other 11 disciples struggle just like Judas. The other 11 disciples are impatient to usher in the kingdom of God. The other 11 disciples have heard and seen the same miracles and messages of Jesus. And what is the difference? The difference between Judas and the other 11 disciples is truth. The difference is Peter has allowed the truth of the gospel and the truth of Jesus' words and the truth of the scripture and the truth of the Holy Spirit to change his life. And Judas has not. That Judas is just about external appearances. He has not allowed the Spirit of God through the truth of the scripture and the truth of Jesus Christ to change his life. I mean, I want you to think about Judas for just a second. Judas followed, I, I'm going to put a forth a thought in your brain, and I, and, I, and I hope when I get to heaven I'll confirm it to be true, okay? Well, Jesus will tell me, Judas won't, but moving on. Okay, I, I, I believe that Judas followed Jesus solely to get something from Jesus. Because who do Judas and the other 11 disciples think Jesus is? They think he is the king of Israel, which he is. But they think that Jesus is coming to establish an earthly kingdom to kick out all of the Romans to have earthly dominion. And who is Judas? Judas is the treasurer of the 12. So put that in perspective. If Jesus comes as king to kick out all of the Romans and to establish an earthly kingdom... 
What does Judas have control of? He has control over the money. And if Judas is stealing in John chapter 12, then guess what's going to happen in an earthly kingdom? Judas is going to enrich himself. I believe that Judas is following Jesus to get something out of him. And I believe that Judas is waiting for the day that he controls the treasury of a kingdom so he can enrich himself. And let me put it in perspective, let me tie all the knots together. No wonder Judas betrays Jesus for money. 30 shekels of silver. He betrays Jesus for money because that is what he is in it for. But friends, listen to me. We can be just like Judas. The difference between the eleven and Judas is that the eleven allowed the gospel to change their life. Friends, if we aren't careful, we can end up just like him, like Judas. You know, I, I look I look at the beginning text, and Judas started off as a pretty probably a pretty good guy. Right? I mean, he probably was sincere. He probably wanted something to Jesus. I don't think he ever believed in Jesus. But he probably was a nice guy. He probably was very sincere. But he did not allow the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Holy Spirit to change his life. And he was on a slippery slope to apostasy, to apathy, to arrogance, to betraying his Savior and friends. If we aren't careful, we can end up very similarly if we do not allow the scripture to change our lives, if we don't let it go past our brain and into our heart and to change our actions, then we are on the road to apostasy. We are on the road to betraying our Savior. That the very first moment life gets hard, we are out. Check out. What does the scripture say? It says, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If we only hear the word and not do the word, then we're in trouble. Friends, the Scripture should change our lives. I I know you've heard that before, but every time we crack open the Scripture, it should change our lives. Every time we come to church and hear from the Bible, it should change our lives. Every time we pray, Every time we think about Jesus, every time we regurgitate a a verse that we memorize in Awana, it should change our lives. Every time we memorize the Bible, it should change our lives. Every time we teach children the Bible, it should change their life and ours as a teacher. Every time we hear, we read, we recite the Bible, it should change our lives. Because otherwise, we are on the road to becoming like Judas. But how does the Bible change us? It should change us more than what we know. If you want to know how the Bible changes our lives, then I would encourage you to look at Psalm 119. How does the Bible change us? Number one, the Bible keeps us from sin. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? The Bible brings us to light. Psalm 119, verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Number three, the Bible guides my steps. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Number four, the Bible gives us hope. Psalm 119, verse 116. Sustain me according to your word that I may live. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. 
The Bible chastens our wandering spirit. Psalm 119, 176. I have gone astray like a sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. My question for us here today is quite simple. Which one are we? Are we going to be a true follower of Christ that will follow Jesus in the midst of opposition that will follow Jesus when life doesn't make sense. Will we follow Jesus when, when we don't understand everything? Or will we be a false disciple that when they don't get food, when they don't get what they want, when they don't understand what Jesus means, they are exiting the building at stage left at first chance? Will we be a true disciple or a false one? My point today is to be Peter, to accept the difficult truths and trials of life, to believe the truth that Jesus is life, He is Lord, and He is God, and that we would be changed by the truth of the Scripture, and not just appearing to be spiritual, but changed. Allow me to ask you three questions to kind of summarize up this message I see in John chapter 6. My first question is question number one. What difficult truth are you wrestling with or do you struggle to accept? What difficult truth do you struggle to accept? We all have them. We all have things in this life that just simply just do not make sense. And that is okay. It's by faith that we live. What doctrine, what truth, what trial have you walked in your life and you look back on and you say, Lord, I just don't understand. Let me tell you a story. This, uh, the question that I have wrestled with this week is this, is this. How can a good, loving God allow so many terrible things to happen? <laughs> well, I'm a preacher by trade, right? I mean, come on. I mean, if you got, you should have this one answered, Byron, right? I mean, that's the one that I wrestle with all the time. How can a good, loving God allow so many terrible things to happen? And you know how that question came about? Oh, man. This week, on Tuesday... Tuesday morning, I sat beside a man at his bedside who was dying, but this man was young, maybe 20, 21 years old, and I'm sitting there, and I, and, and I'm, I can see it now. He's lying there, and I see all above him are all these Bible verses that he has hoped in in the midst of all these difficult pain and trials. And I'm sitting there looking at this young man, perhaps breathing his last breath, and I'm just saying it doesn't make sense. This young man who has followed you his whole life, who has believed in you as Savior, who, who is an example to me on what faith means. And I'm sitting there looking at this young man. Perhaps, hopefully, the Lord will rescue him from the pit of despair and his family. But I'm sitting there looking at him potentially breathing his last breath. And it made no sense. It just makes no sense. And that is okay. 
There's so many things in life that just don't make sense. And that is okay. And let's just be real. We so many times in our life, we want answers. God, give me an answer. I don't understand. But you know what? We might not get one. And that's okay. And you know what? I think sometimes we have this uh, thought in our brain that all of the questions I have in life, that I'll finally understand when I make it to heaven. Well, guess what? We might not. We might not get it there, and that's okay. We live by faith. We all have doubts. We all have trials. We all have things in life that we struggle with. And let's just admit them. Because if we don't, they will be a cancer to our soul. And then when one day, when we walk up to the precipice of pain, we will want to walk away and just be like these disciples in John chapter 6, verse 66, who prove themselves not to be true because they cannot accept a difficult answer. Question number two is this, is basically the gospel is, do you believe in truth? Peter here has been walking with Jesus for two years, and he has come to know that Jesus gives life, eternal aliveness, that he comes to us, he's paid for my soul, but more than the gospel being fire insurance, but that the gospel is meant to change my soul and my life, and now before God I am a child of God, I have inheritance before him, and now I can experience God's endless, inseparable love, okay? So, but, but, and Peter understands this, the question I have is, have you believed? Have you really received Jesus as your Lord of your life? And have you experienced the life that he gives? Because if you've been coming to church your whole life and you are the same, maybe you're not saved. Because as I see the scriptures, those who believe are changed on a continual basis. We never arrive. I hope that we are spiritual and not just appear to be spiritual. And then question number three is this. Do we allow the truth to change us? If you've come here for any length of time, if you've even been here more than one week, then I know something about you. Then I know that basically you are like me, that you love God's word. Because let's just be real for just a second. We're not the flashiest church in town, we're not the hippest, and I'm okay with that, okay, alright, we don't have the best building, we don't have the loudest music, we don't have the best lights, we, sometimes the hallway smells like death out there and terribleness, okay, I'm sorry, it happened last week, okay, okay, if you were here last week, I'm sorry, that was terrible, okay, we're not the coolest, and I'm cool with that. And if, but if you've been here more than two weeks, then I know something about you, that you're like me, man. Like, you just love the Scripture. Like, like no, by, no one, weird people like me go spend three years going through the Gospel of John. I mean, who does that? This guy does. And I'm cool with that. If you've come here for a couple of weeks, then I know that you just can't get enough. But friends, listen to me. There is a difference between knowing the Word and doing the Word. We can't just hear the Word, but we must put it into action. Will we let 
the truth of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ seep past our minds and change our hearts? That's my question. What does it say in James chapter 1? But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not just hearers who delude themselves. You know, I want us as a church to be the real deal. That when people meet someone from Calvary, they see authenticity. That when people meet someone from Calvary, they see someone who loves Jesus. When people see and meet someone from Calvary, they see someone who walks by faith, who loves people, who loves God, who guides others to become biblical followers of Christ. When people meet someone from Calvary, they see a true disciple and not a Judas. When people meet someone from Calvary, I hope that they see someone who allows the Spirit of God to take the truth of God's Word and to slowly carve away our souls so slowly we become conformed to the image of His Son. And when people meet someone from Calvary, let them see someone who will follow God. When life doesn't make sense, someone will follow God in challenging times, in easy times, and at all times. Let those in the world see us who are true followers, who accept difficult truth, who believe the truth, and who are changed by truth. I believe this. I believe that this church, although we are not a mega church, I believe that this church is full of true disciples. I believe it. But let us not waver. Let us be bold. Let us go into the world as a light to the darkness. Let us go into the world, reaching the lost, proclaiming his word, loving people beyond what's normal, and let us make disciples of all nations. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, Lord, there's not much left to say. I just I thank you for my church. I thank you for those that are tuning in online. I thank you for the testimony that the older generation here at Calvary they leave us. And Lord, I um, I, I love and I appreciate each of them. And Lord, I pray that even though we are distant and I haven't seen them in almost a year, that they would know that we and I as a church, that we love them and we care for them. And I thank you for the testimony that they live, that they have seen and they have walked back from the precipice of walking away from their faith. And they still walk in faithfulness and in love for you and in love for others. And Lord, I pray that for those that are here, Lord, that we would be bold, that we would not just learn something. But it would change us. It would activate us. It would, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come into our lives and we would walk by it. Lord, I just 
thank you um, that, that you have given us grace for that when we mess up, that when we are like Peter and when we are like Peter, that when we mess up, that we know that we can come to you and that we can confess our sins to you and that you will forgive us of all unrighteousness. Lord, I just thank you for that. And Lord, I just, um, I just pray that we would love people. Lord, that we would love those in this room. I know, Lord, that, 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 that COVID has caused some awkwardness socially and I know that we don't like to get within 10, 50 feet of people. But Lord, I just pray that we would show love and affection towards those in the room. And Lord, that we would show love and affection outside of this building. Let us be lights to the world. Let us go and be biblical followers of Christ through the intentional relationships that you give us. And Lord, I just thank you for today. And I just thank you for your word and how it gives us life. In Jesus' name, amen.